And the thing is, is that God does not use perfect people, but he uses willing people. He doesn't use perfect people, he uses willing people, which is really good news for most of us, eh? And the thing is, is that God is not against humanity. He's not against humanity, he's not against being human. He loves it. He created us to be human. And Jesus became a man, didn't he? And if it was an evil thing to be human, how could God have become a man? Jesus rejoiced in being a man, in in feeling and touching and experiencing the things that we experience. Jesus became flesh, he became a man, and he lived for 30 years as a human being, doing pretty ordinary things. For 27 years, that's pretty much all he did. He just lived as a man. He just enjoyed being human, it seems. And it was only the last three years that Jesus started to move into his ministry, and he also started to show us what was possible for a human being to do under the power of the Holy Spirit, as an example to us. So God loves human beings, and he loves working with us. But at the same time, there can be some challenges for us in being human, because we're still learning, aren't we, about the full extent of what Jesus has done for us in making us new creations, this new identity that we now have in Christ. We're still trying to get our heads around it, trying to work that out, because sometimes we can be, well, just so human, You know, some of us, we can be really human at times. Our fallen nature, it comes through. Our old selves corrupt what we're doing. We continue to sin. And all of us can be self-centered, proud, prejudiced, jealous, angry, unreasonable. The list could go on. And uh, it can be a challenge when it comes to church, to being church. You know, some disillusioned pastors have been heard saying, I love God, I love the church, it's just the people I can't stand. Because it can be really hard work at times in church, can't it? Which is the crux, actually, of the Corinthian problem. And so before Paul gets into the role of people building the church, he tackles the problem of people in building the church. So in the first four verses of chapter 3, which we're going to look at today, Paul says, in effect, that people are worldly, self-centered babies who have no idea what they're doing. That's what he says of the Corinthians. You're self-centered, worldly babies. You've got no idea what you're doing, which is no way, Paul, to win a celebrity contest, which it seems that that's what they are having at Corinth. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus. He could have won a few votes with being a bit nicer, but Paul just says it as it is. So let's just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Brothers... I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men. Now this short reading actually goes right to the core of division in the church and what division is about. It's the problem of people. Uh, But at the same time, Paul gives us the antidote to division and he gives us three keys for building strong, unified churches. 
And what he says is, firstly, that we need to be spiritual, not worldly, adults, not babies, God-centered, not man-centered. So that's the three things that we're going to be looking at today. So, Lord, I just want to pray that you'd help us to look at this passage. Would you give us fresh revelation? Lord, would you help us to hear you? Would you help us to change in our hearts and that our lives would line up according to your word, not the other way around, Lord? We don't want our experience to be projected onto your word. We want your word to be our experience. And we just pray for that by the Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. So firstly then, if we are to build strong and unified churches, we need to be spiritual, not worldly. And we've seen already from chapter 2 that being spiritual just means being full of the Holy Spirit. And you'd have thought that the Corinthians were full of the Holy Spirit, because from chapter 1 we can see that there are no shortage of spiritual gifts in the church. Paul says there are no shortage of spiritual gifts. Uh, From later chapters we can see that there are no shortage of miracles or demonstrations of power, and yet Paul says to them he couldn't speak to them as spiritual people, but as worldly. And this is because they were being just a bit too human about it. You know, they were in the Spirit for some things, but they were out of the Spirit for others. They were kind of stepping in and stepping out. And you see, being spiritual is not just about being full of the Holy Spirit, it's also being fully in the Spirit. It's not just about being fully in the, full of the Holy Spirit, it's also being in the Spirit. There needs to be that cooperation, that joining. And you know, we can all do this. We can all be in the Spirit and out of the Spirit. Uh, you know, in the meeting, in worship, we can speak in tongues, prophesy. But how many people have found that within just minutes sometimes of, of leaving the meeting or the meeting closing, uh, you find that you're very much out of the Spirit? You know, when perhaps somebody criticizes you or somebody knocks hot coffee over your nice white top or somebody else's child runs into you and injures you in some way. And within a second, you are no longer in the spirit, the holy man or woman of God that you were, you are angry. (laughs) And you are very much out of the spirit in that moment. I mean, how many of you know that there will be times in our lives when we are offended or disillusioned, when the way that we feel, speak or behave doesn't come out from the Holy Spirit, it comes from somewhere else. It comes out of our own hurt, our own pain, our own disillusionment, our own frustration. How many times have we done that? Have we experienced that? We're not in the spirit anymore. We're coming from somewhere else with the way that we react. Remember a man who used to say, it's not so much your actions that count, it's your reactions that show what's really in you. And if you think about that, that's kind of scary. (laughs) We can be in the spirit, we can be out of the spirit. And there are times when we can't be addressed as spiritual, but as worldly. And you see, the Corinthians hadn't just had a momentary lapse, but this unspiritual behavior had infected the whole church. And it's a really sad thing. If Paul's writing, the Apostle Paul says, I'm writing you, I can't write to you, I can't speak to you like spiritual people at all. He says, I can't do that. And he's not just speaking to a particular individual, he's not just talking to one of the leaders or a group of the leaders, he's talking to the whole church. The plural, it's the plural of you. 
I couldn't speak to you all as spiritual. The way that the church was functioning, the culture of the church, it wasn't spiritual. It was worldly. And Paul says that the reason I know this is because there's jealousy and quarreling among you. And you see, these are the world standards and they don't come from the spirit. Jealousy and quarreling. Now what does this world, this word, worldly, actually mean? Because I've got to say, I've got a bit of a reaction to that word. I hate the use of that word in the church. That's worldly. That's worldly behavior. Because of my background. Because my background's kind of brethren-y. And so worldly to brethren people kind of means going to the cinema. That's worldly. Or having a drink of alcohol. That's worldly. Wearing a dress that's not below the knee, not for men, they're not allowed to wear them at all, but women, you're not allowed to wear a shorter dress, that's worldly. And the, the kind of way of, the description of worldliness there is, <sighs> being spiritual is simply avoiding the world. And that's not what worldliness is. Jesus says, you are in the world. You're meant to be in the world. You're meant to be my witnesses. You're meant to be a part of what's going on, speaking into it. You're meant to be there, in the world, but not of the world. So Paul defines what worldliness is. In this passage, he says that it's what we are feeling, firstly. What we are feeling, jealousy in this instance. Feeling jealousy. It's what we say. This is worldliness. What we say, it's words of strife or quarreling. And then it's what we do. It's what those things lead to. The actions which have caused division. The actions that cause division at Corinth. This is what worldliness is. It's what we're feeling, it's what we say, and it's what we do. That's how it's measured. It's that steps of progression thing again. And there are several lists around the New Testament that describe what worldliness is, or carnality, or fleshiness. But uh, I'm going to summarize them for you. So first of all, worldly feelings, there's jealousy. These are worldly feelings. Jealousy, fits of rage, hatred, envy, selfish, selfish ambition, lust. Worldly words, things like curses, blasphemy, hatred. Hatred that is expressed to others, gossiping, worldly actions, dissensions, factions, sexual immorality, drunkenness, orgies, witchcraft. It's a merry old list, isn't it? Worldliness in the church. That's what Paul was saying. These kind of things were in the church. Worldly feelings, words and actions and so on. And people, and the Bible calls people with these kinds of feelings, these kinds of words and actions worldly or carnal people. And so people that are operating from that, or are coming from that, who are expressing this, are not coming from the Spirit, but from the flesh. If you're not sure, you're not sure if that's of the Spirit or of the flesh. It's a very good test. The feelings, how are they coming out? What are they sounding like? What are they feeling like? What kind of words are being spoken? For each of us, we need to be aware of this dangerous progression of feelings from feelings to words that we say and then actions that we complete. And we need to deal with our feelings. We need to deal with them before they become words. You know how you suddenly start to feel something about somebody? Oh, they're really... Mm. 
really don't like it when they, you're feeling this, you're feeling this vulnerability. And then you start to talk about it, it becomes words. And then before you know it, you're withdrawing from them, you're gossiping about them, and you're excluding them. That's how the progression of worldliness works. And this had infected the whole church. That's quite scary. And these things, if they're not checked in us as individuals, can become endemic in a whole group of people. I don't know why, but these things spread. In any group, it doesn't have to be a church. I experienced it in my office place. You know, that that bit of juicy gossip, and it just spreads. But these things are not to destroy the church. Paul writes and says, look, I don't want this to happen in Corinth, and I'm writing these things. He says, not to write you off. He says, I'm writing them so that you'll repent, so you'll put these things right and restore the unity of the Spirit. But I just want us to to notice this and say worldliness is is a very serious issue in the church. Actually, it's a, a sign of great immaturity. The people in Corinth hadn't grown since Paul's last visit, and they were behaving like babies. That's what Paul said. So secondly, if we're to build strong, unified churches, we need to be adults and not babies. So Paul says, when I came to you four or five years ago, I fed you on milk. And that was okay, because you were just babes in Christ. You were new Christians, although even new Christians can have meat too, it seems, but they just wanted milk. But to still be in the same position now, five years later, not having moved on from those initial times, isn't good. He says, from what I've been hearing, you've not grown up at all. And at a time when you should be eating meat and feeding others, you are still wanting your mother's breast milk. That's literally what Paul says. You're still wanting breast milk. Still wanting to be coddled in that way. And do you know there are, there are times for all of us when we, all we can stomach is milk. You know, we need to be spoon fed. As babes, babes in Christ, we need others to sit with us. We need others to pray with us. We need even people to read the Bible to us. We can't do these things for ourselves. When we first become Christians, we need to be taught. As we go on with God, we still need to be taught, but it's different. We're not so dependent. But if we stay like that, if we stay in that position where we're just so dependent on others, I mean, have you grown this year? Have you grown? Have you matured in your faith? I remember a few years ago visiting some friends who had a five-year-old son with teeth and everything, and we were completely shocked when it came to a particular moment where the mother made a sort of an apology and said, uh, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to feed so-and-so. And she picked him up, put him on the breast at five years old, and we, it was just, it just seemed wrong for, for so many reasons and at so many different levels. And we said, well, doesn't it hurt with the teeth and everything? Yeah, it does a bit, but I think it's worth it, don't you? No, it's horrible. It's wrong. And it just, just looks so wrong. Five years old to be fed like that. Now, I appreciate there's some cultures where there's a shortage of food and there's not much choice about these kind of things, but really? Because in general, five years old is too old to be breastfed. Do we agree on this? 
Well, that's what Paul was saying. It's certainly too, too old for him. That was the picture he was using. It's like you're wanting to be breastfed. You're five years old. He's not even saying you've got to be adults yet, but he's saying five years old, you shouldn't be breastfed anymore. You should be on solid food by now. You should have made progress. Remember that strong milk of the word I fed you. You should be strapping Christian men and women now. But you're just learning to walk, and this isn't good. And again, the sad thing is that Paul is talking in the plural again. He's talking about the whole church. He says, you just haven't matured. And there comes a time in the life of every church when it's time to mature. (laughs) When it's time for us to become parents and grandparents ourselves. And it starts with each of us making individual decisions, actually. I remember when Alison and I moved from a church where we were some of the youngest in the church, where we moved somewhere to where we were not only some of the oldest, but also some of the most mature. And we were late 20s, so that's how young the church was. And it was a real shock to us, because we realized we, we were the oldest, we were the most mature, and we had to grow up and take some responsibility in that context. And I don't know why it is precisely that churches don't mature, why people don't grow up. We don't know why this happened at Corinth. But there are several things I've observed which I think I can contribute to this. Firstly, over-paternalistic leaders. Over-paternalistic. I visited a church once where it was apparent within a few minutes of entering the service that although there were quite a few older people in the church, there were very few mature people. And it became apparent why. When the leaders started the service, they were very dominant in the meeting. I mean, Tom would have loved this. One of the elders stood next to him at the mic while he, while he led worship. And he kept interrupting and speaking to the worship leader and sort of saying, no, don't do this, do this, do that song next. It's just a general feeling of immaturity. There's a lack of trust there. And as we went around after the meeting and met other people from the church, there was just this, this frustration that was just so apparent among people. And some younger, really talented people who are obviously not carrying any responsibility. And I'm sure that would have carried through into the pastoral care as well, you know, leading to very dependent cultures where the leaders were like their mums and dads and nobody else was quite allowed to grow up. Over paternalistic leaders. Secondly, because of watered-down teaching. You know, if teaching is always watered down, if it's simplified for the youngest believer or the simplest thinker or even too few meaty sermons in favour of a more seeker-friendly approach, if that's all you get, it leads to people just not growing and developing. You know, we need teaching that stretches us. We need teaching that challenges us We mustn't shelter people from the realities of sin and the fear of God or some of the difficulties of doctrine or biblical interpretation. You know, sometimes we need to think. Sometimes it's going to be a weighty, heavy one. That's part of what it is to grow up. And also the emphasis on the application of the word is so important for this. 
holding one another to account, which is why we design life group questions the way that we do. They are quite confrontational at times. They ask some pretty straight questions. That's deliberate, so that we can learn how to apply the word to our own lives. And thirdly, a lack of challenge or faith. You know, it can be to do with a lack of faith exhibited by the church, not enough steps being taken to stretch people, too sheltered or lacking in adventure. You know, I really believe that a Holy Spirit-led people are meant to be adventurous people. God's going to take people to all different corners of the earth, send people out and do all kinds of crazy things. I want to be part of that. I want to see people step out and pray for the sick. I want to see people step out and bring a word of knowledge for the first time. I want to see that. I want to see people believing God for financial miracles and going on adventures for God. Evangelism on the streets. We're committed to this. We want to create that culture, that release, where we trust people enough to hear from God and go and do something really committed to this and want to encourage that spirit of adventure and risk-taking. So there's some ideas about perhaps why some churches don't mature. So thirdly then, this principle that Paul tells us about is about being God-centered, not man-centered. If you read verse 4, it says, this. It says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, he says, are you not mere men? Because this is taking a man-centered, not a God-centered, God-fearing, God-honoring approach to church. Are you not mere men when you say these things? You see, the Corinthians have started to pick their favorites. It's a kind of a church X-factor they got into personalities and promotion of a, a celebrity type of culture. They might say, well, of course, Apollos is the man for me. I mean, his rousing oratory, his powerful voice, his intellect, you know, he really makes me think. Well, that may be the case, but surely Peter is superior after all. He was the key spokesman for the Twelve, and wasn't it upon his ministry that the Lord said he was going to build his church? You two have got no idea at all. Paul is the thing that's coming. He's the one to go for. He's where it's happening. Look at his traveling ministry. Look at all the churches he's planted. Some of the visions he's had. Some of the miracles. I've got one of his hankies. (laughs) And they'd started to argue as well over spiritual gifts. You know, they had these gifts and who could speak in tongues the most, who could prophesy the best, preach the fastest, talk the longest, and I don't know what. Behaving like mere men. And women, of course. I don't want to exclude the women here. You are fully included in this. (laughs) A kind of church X factor. But then this is what human beings are like. Competition and promotion, external things, man-centered worldly thinking. But this phrase hits something all the more serious and is a warning to those who would play with ideas of celebrity in the church or division. Paul goes on to explain that what these mere men are messing with belongs to God. 
We're going to get into this a bit more next week, but just take note of the warning here in verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? He's talking in the plural again to the church. Verse 17, And that if anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Serious. Don't you know what you're dealing with? The fear of God. And those that crash headlong into causing churches to divide do so, I think, without any real sense of what, of the reality of what they're doing. I genuinely fear for them. And when I hear of it, I want to get hold of people and say, look, don't you know what you're playing with? Don't you fear God? Paul says, you know, you think you're so wise, but you're a fool. Don't you know what we're building? Don't you fear what you're destroying? And you're in danger of eternal destruction. That's what he says. God will destroy that person. And Paul never says that the Corinthians have crossed this line, but he warns them about where this behavior will lead them. Not that this is a threat even to a true believer that they will lose their salvation, but Paul's warning is to stop them in their tracks and to bring them to that place of humility and repentance, say, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. I didn't realize what I was messing with. I've got to say that in my years of church leadership, this has been one of the greatest incentives for me to have no part in bringing division in the church because this is God's church. It's his dwelling place. It's his holy people that we're talking about. And anyone who takes this lightly is in danger of judgment. There are consequences. And Gordon Fee, uh, who's a theologian, comments on these verses, and he says, overall, these two verses form the... So Gordon Fee says, overall, these two verses form the strongest warning in all the New Testament against those who would take the church lightly and destroy it by worldly wisdom and division. Sober words, aren't they? You are behaving like mere men. Paul says, you know, how do you think you're going to stand before Almighty God? We should fear God. This is his body that we're talking about. And the church deserves our honor and respect. Do you fear God? You know, when it comes to the church, when you talk about the church, when you talk about its leaders or or what you think should or shouldn't be done, and you may be right, you may be right, but does the fear of God guide and keep you? Are you careful about how you speak about these things? We need to guard our hearts and fear God. Let me just conclude then. I want to go back to where we started, that God actually wants to use every one of us. He actually involves human beings in the building of his church. I think that is amazing. He wants us to choose to work with him. He wants him to, he wants us to allow him to work through us. He really doesn't need us, but he's chosen 
to use us. God doesn't use perfect people, but willing people. But there are some challenges, because imperfect people can make perfect messes. When we forget who we are, when we fall into sinful behavior and attitudes, but God still wants to use us. I just find that amazing. still wants to use us. And knowing this, Paul gives us the antidote. Three keys, I'm just going to repeat. Firstly, be be filled with the Holy Spirit and be fully in the Holy Spirit. Not just spiritual gifts or spiritual sounding words, but allowing his lordship to permeate every part of us. Check your feelings. Be careful what you say and the words that you use and the actions that they can lead to. You know, perhaps you need to repent today and put some things right with God or with somebody else. And secondly, deliberately strain towards spiritual adulthood. Eat solid food. Take a risk today. Step out in faith so that it stretches you and grows you. You know, some people need to deal with their spiritual Peter Pan complex. It's a real thing, apparently. Some people don't want to grow up, but spiritually, we need to grow. We need to be those that parent others and feed others with the milk of the word. And thirdly, that we need to be God-centered. We need to fear God and recognize the church for what it is. It's the body of Christ. So do you fear God when it comes to church? Now, I know that for the holiday time, this is quite a heavy message, really, and I kind of wish it had been another week, but there's not enough people here, you see, to hear this. So I'm not getting at anybody. It's just the next bit in the passage. But it is a serious message, and I want us to grow to be a strong and unified church to keep growing to keep maturing in God. And so I just want to close by responding to God together and committing ourselves and the church to God. And it may be that, you know, as we stand in God's presence for a moment, God will put his finger on something and say, look, you need to deal with that that attitude, that particular way of looking things. Your, your, Your thinking needs to change on that issue. So I'm just going to give you a moment to come into God's presence. Do you want to stand? Why don't you just invite the Holy Spirit to come and search your heart? Ask him to put his finger on whatever he wants to put his finger on. And this is a serious moment. It's a serious message today. Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just want to come before you in this serious moment and say, that we want to be people that are full of the Holy Spirit, people that learn to live in your Spirit. Forgive us for the times when we don't, Lord, when we step out, when we react from different places. We pray, Lord, for the ongoing work of your Spirit in our lives. And, Lord, we want to grow up into you. We want to grow up into all that you have for us. 
Lord, I pray that you deal with fear today for people who, for whom taking responsibility or taking a risk or taking a step of faith just seems like too big a risk. Lord, I just pray for boldness to come upon every one of us. Lord, right now I want to say that we fear you. And actually what the Bible teaches is that you are the only one in the universe that it's right to fear. We shouldn't fear men. We certainly shouldn't fear the devil. But we should fear you. And Lord, we want to give honour to you today. want to give honour to those that work amongst us. want to give honour to your church worldwide. And say, Lord, build your church. Lord, let it grow phenomenally. May many people be added and saved across the world today. We just pray for the ongoing work of your spirit in building your church worldwide. Lord, forgive us when we've not quite understood, not quite seen the seriousness of the church and who the church really are, the body of Christ. But Lord, we want to change our minds on that today. In Jesus' name. Just take a moment yourself, if there's anything that's come to your mind that you just want to put right with God. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just want to bless you with that as we close. And the Lord bless you and fill you with his spirit right now.